Hey, we're in, the, uh, we're in the, the smack dab middle of a, of a series of a collection of talks that we've entitled Legacy. In fact, when I say middle, we literally are in the middle. It's the second week, and there's only three weeks, kind of a shorter, shorter series. And, and really, this, this whole thing kind of stems from Psalm 112, verses 5 and 6, where the psalmist writes, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Here it is. They will be remembered forever. Speaking of legacy, because we said last week that the goal, the goal isn't to live on earth forever, but rather to leave something that does. I've been wrestling with this question in my, in my own life for quite some time, quite some time now. That what, what could we do today? What could I do today? What could you do today? What could we do today that would be celebrated in heaven forever? Think about that for a moment. What could you do? What could I do? What could we collectively do as a community here at Ethos Church what could we do that would be celebrated in heaven for all of, for all of eternity? I really believe that, that one of my roles as a, as a pastor here at, at Ethos isn't just to get up on Sunday morning, but rather to help us live with a, with a legacy mindset, kind of thinking with eternity in mind. If you're a little bit newer to Ethos, and maybe you're not quite sure what you believe about, about God and faith, and we're, we're so, we welcome questions here, we really do, and uh, but, but I also want you to know that you kind of stepped into an environment where we believe that Jesus Christ has set us up to live forever with him. And so we have this hope of forever, this hope of eternity that's actually way better than what we experience now. Sometimes we fear kind of that, that afterlife, so to speak, but, but it's not intended to be that way. It's actually intended to be something that we look forward to with, with hope and great Great anticipation. And in fact, in two weeks, in two weeks, we introduced this last week, we're going to be receiving our legacy offering. And it's, it's one of my favorite things that we do as a church. In fact, I, I look so forward to the legacy offering. And it's, it's kind of unique because we don't really take up special offerings here at Ethos. If you've been a part of our church for, for any length of time now, you, you probably recognize that. We just, we just do one, one offering at the end of every service. And that's where we, where we give our general tithes and, and offerings. And we want to steward that well and use that to make a difference in our community and the world around us, but, but one time a year we do receive a, a kind of a unique offering. It's, it's our legacy offering, but it actually replaces our regu regular offering. So on December the 1st, we're going to be receiving one offering that week, and everything that we give goes directly to the organizations that you see up there, up there on the screen. And those are folks and, and, and organizations that we already partner with on a, on a monthly basis, but we're going to continue to kind of above and beyond. We want to we say we want to make a difference. We wanna, so, so as a church... As a church, it's probably good for you to know, we don't budget off of 52 weeks in a year. We budget off of 51 because one of those weeks is our legacy week. And, and so we, we have what we call a floor and a ceiling on our budget. So the floor for our outreach is 12%. We, don't, we will not give less than 12% back because we want to we be a radically generous church. We want to go kind of above and beyond in that way. But our legacy offering is above. That's, that's where we don't have a ceiling. It's the only part of our budget we don't have a ceiling on. We just, 12% is the bottom line, but then our legacy kind of puts us over that, over that, uh, over that, that floor, if you will. And so we want to ask that you would simply ask the Lord. Don't, don't feel pressure from me, please. We're in this thing together. This isn't like, like, well, pastor said. No, no, like we're in this thing together. You ask God, what would you want me to give, God? Like what, and I just believe that as he impresses any number on your heart, just as we live in obedience to that, there's something that God, ble there's, God blesses 
God blesses our obedience. You know, those organizations that we put up there, they've got a great vision. We believe in them, and many of you are familiar with them as well, and I know that you believe in them too. And, but one of the things that I've discovered is that, that God gives the vision, but hear me, hear me. It's our generosity that determines the speed of the vision. Think about that for just a moment. God sets the vision in motion, but it's, it's us partnering with him that really determines the speed of that of that vision. As a church, we have a, we have a value that we say generosity is our privilege. So, so we, 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 we think of it like this. Man, I look forward. I was, I was with lunch. I was at lunch with somebody yesterday, and, and, and I said, oh, I, I, I said, hey, let me, let me take care of it. And they said, no, no, I want to take I said, no, it literally is my privilege. I want to I live in such a way. We want to be a church that lives in such a way where it's like, no, I look, this is, a, this is the honor of mine to be a to be generous. My wife spoke so great last week where she, she spoke about Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where, where Jesus himself is speaking. He says that wherever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart are going to follow. And take, take quick notice that Jesus doesn't say that wherever your heart is, then your treasure will follow. He says, no, 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 wherever your treasure is, there your heart kind of comes up behind it and rests itself in that, in that place. So God wants us to be, to be generous. How many, how many people in here have ever served or been a, a waitress or a waiter before? Can I see your hands? A good, good number of you. I, I served for about two and a half years when I was in school down south. And, and, uh, and, and you know when nobody ever wanted to serve? Sunday afternoons. Come on, we know why. It's the church crowd. And, I mean, it was like, like my manager knew that I was part of the church crowd. So he's like, will you at least serve on Sunday afternoons? I was like, I mean, I guess. But it was like, you average like 5 to 10%. And I just don't think it's supposed to, I don't think it's supposed to, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. And so last week, kind of the big idea, last week just to kind of bring us up to speed so we can move forward today. today last week, the big idea is that we, here at Ethos Church, we believe, biblically speaking, we, we believe the Bible, man. The authority of God is structured and, and, and positioned in God's word. And, and we believe that we give to give. We don't give to get. And here's why. Because if we give to give, that type of mentality exercises selfishness and greed out of our heart. But if we give to get, and some of us, maybe, maybe we grew up in an environment where that was kind of the way in which we were taught. And, and this kind of goes against the paradigm of, of the way in which we currently even think. But hear me, if we give to get, that actually exercises selfishness and greed back into our hearts. And God is not interested in us catching a revelation of getting. He is a giving God wants us to live in accordance to the image in which he created us, which is his image, he wants us to catch a revelation of giving. And so we could say it like this. We get to give. We don't give to get. Generosity, generosity is our, it's our privilege. So today, today, I want to talk from a message entitled, Is Tithing Still Relevant? Dun, dun, dun. You're like, oh gosh, I brought a friend today, Jordan. But, but hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I am with you in this, okay? Because I've been jaded in certain ways myself. And so when I was in my mid-20s, I went on a journey and just questioned everything about faith and Christianity. And it, it's led me to some things in which I am still wrestling with to this day. But this is one of those things. And so I want to I share from a message that, is tithing even still relevant? Because that's a, that's a valid question that we all have. But, but, but politics, money, and sexuality are like the three taboos in the church. I just don't think it's supposed to be that way. 
I really don't. And so as a church, I just, we're going to lean in together this morning. Let's pray and, and ask the Lord to, to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the moments that we have to gather together. And we would ask that through, through your Holy Spirit, you would speak directly to us on this morning. That, that it wouldn't just be me speaking, but God, you would speak to us. Even, even fill in the gaps between what I've prepared to say and what you want to speak to the hearts and the lives and the minds of every single individual in here today. We love you. Father, in Jesus' name, everybody who agreed said amen, amen. Hey, I just noticed really quick that Jade McCormick is here, and she does not like to be singled out, but she's our kids director. She's our Ethos kids director, and she deserves our honor because she's awesome, and we love her. And I'm so glad that you got to take a break and just sit. This is the first time ever. So thank you. Jade. Thanks for doing what you do. We love you. You are loved by so many. So appreciate you. Appreciate you. Um, a couple, couple weeks ago, I got, I, got, I got the opportunity to go on this trip that I had been invited on about a year ago. In fact, a friend of mine took care of the whole thing for me, and all I had to do was just show up, and it was, it was so much fun. I got to go fish. I got to go fly fishing. I've never been fly fishing before. I got to go fly fishing for the very first time, and I got to go and do it in Montana on the Bighorn River. It was so, so much fun. In fact, in fact one, of the, one of the cool things is that is that we, we went out on the, on the boat, and I had, there was a bunch of my friends were there too, and, and we went out on this little boat, and we had this guy, his name was Austin, and Austin had been, been a guide on the river for about 12 years, so he kind of knew what he was doing, and, and then me and my other friend, Brian Cromer, he's a pastor in Cincinnati, and if you've got any friends in Cincinnati, and they, they need a good church, it's Queen City Church is a fantastic, amazing church, and, and I'd, I'd send them there in a heartbeat, I believe in them, but, 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 but we're on this boat together, and, and we just got onto the river, just got there, Rod, you're going to appreciate this. And, and we just got onto the river, and, and in the first five minutes, I mean, I probably hadn't cast more than maybe three times, four times at the absolute most, I caught the first fish. And my guide said to me, Jordan, he said, nobody has caught, in my 12 years, nobody has caught a fish that fast who's been fly fishing for the first time. That's your boy right here. <laughs> I was like, come on, somebody. I was like, can you say that louder, please, Austin? Like, let the people in the other little boats know, too. Those other little puny boats, you know. In fact, I got a picture of it just to prove it. I mean, that doesn't prove the timing of it, but it proves I caught something. And, and so I was, I was pretty excited, obviously extremely cold as well. But, but, but it, was, it was so much fun. But here, here, was the frustrating, here was the frustrating thing. We were then fishing for about another eight and a half hours after that. We're about a half an hour away from the dock where we're going to be kind of concluding the day. And, and, and we had caught a single fish in addition to the one that I caught the first five minutes. And, and, and in fact, all day for over eight hours, our guide, Austin, just kept saying the same thing over and over. He said, all right, gents, cast it out to the left. And then we'd pull it back in. All right, gents, cast it out to the right. And we'd pull it back in. Cast it out to the left. To the right. To the left. To the right. You know, like I was singing a song there. And, 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 and about eight hours into this thing, my... I said to Austin, I said, I said, hey, man, I said, can I just be done for the day? I said, can I sit down, please? And he started laughing. He's like, are you, are you done, Jordan? I said, I don't know that I'm as much done as much as the fish are clearly done. And I said, Austin, we haven't caught a single thing since that first one we, we got five minutes into the trip. He said, you know, Jordan, he said, we, we kind of took the scenic route today because there was a bunch of other boats on the, on the, the fish full plentiful route. And and he said, so there's not really a whole lot to catch on this side of the river. Austin, you spent the entire day convincing me 
to cast it to the left and to cast it to the right. And you're telling me, literally, Brian and I are looking at him like, you're telling me that there is nothing that we should expect to catch. And he said to us, he said, maybe some seaweed. <laughs> Austin, you are so lucky I didn't pay for this, man. And, and, and I just, I thought about it, I thought about it in relationship today. I, I, I want you to know, I want you to know something. I am not here, I, I, I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm not. I, I, just, I just don't believe that's my job. But, but what I do believe is this. I, I, what I want to do is that together we would allow the truth of God's word to teach us. And when I say us, I literally, I mean us. I, we we want to be in, I want to be in this thing with you all. My wife and I, uh, she's in the nursery today, but, but, but she, we, we, we always desire to be a part of the church, not just to simply lead the church. We, we, we always desire that we would kind of come up, that we'd be in this thing together. That's why, I'm, that's why I, you have my word. I'm never going to pretend, never going to just kind of put on a show. I, I, I mean, I, I feel very convicted about what we do, how we do it, the direction that we're that we're headed, and, and, and you, you, have, you have my word that I'm never going to ask you to do something that I myself am not first committed to doing. I, we, we're in this thing with, I'm not trying to be like Austin, cast it to the left and cast it to the right. I want us together to lean in. God, what are, you, what, are you trying to, what are you trying to say here? Because God doesn't simply want something from us. He wants something, he wants something for, for us. And what I've discovered is that God... And you know this. This is kind of like baseline teaching here. He wants to be first in your life. And it's not unreasonable that he would require kind of that, that first position, that first priority in our lives. In 1 John chapter 4, it says that we love God. Why? Because, we, because he, first loved, he first loved us. We can't actually, side note, we can't actually even love God unless we first receive of his love in our lives, we'll, we'll fall prey to just simply going through the routine of religion if we don't first understand that God has lavishly placed his love in our lives. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, before we got our act together, before we kind of figured everything out, before we had all of our I's dotted and T's crossed, Jesus came and died for you and for me. He always initiates and then he expects, and I would even say he requires a response. That response is, God, I'm going to put you first. First in my relationships. First in the way that I prioritize my time. First in the way that I make decisions. And first in my finances. The tithe, T-I-T-H-E, it literally means first 10%. That's what, that's what it means. First 10%. The first 10% of what we have. This is, this is the teaching. We'll get into some some, some biblical further understanding here, but it, it means the first 10% of what, God says, I don't want you just to kind of give me your leftovers. I, I want to be, I truly want to be first. And check this out, Malachi chapter 3, a very, very common portion of scripture that people go to so frequently as it relates to, to tithes and offerings. But I think we can better understand some, some bring some greater clarity to what, to what Malachi is saying here if we understand the context. See, Malachi is a prophet of God, which just simply means that he's somebody for whom God uses to speak on his behalf. That's, that's really all the, that's really basically what it, what it means. And, and he's speaking, Malachi is speaking to the people of Israel on behalf of, on behalf of God. And, and the people of Israel were complaining about God. 
In fact, they had four major complaints about God. And in Matthew or Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God begins to address complaint number three. And so God, through Malachi, begins to talk to the people of Israel, and he says this, Hey guys, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. And I don't change. Guys, I don't change. You're acting like I changed. I don't, I'm the Lord, and I do not change. I didn't change then. I don't change now. And he goes on, look at this. He says, that's why you descendants of Jacob, that's why you're not already destroyed. Which is kind of comical, really. You know what Jesus is saying here? You know what God is saying here, rather? He's saying, hey, you know what? I don't change. That's why I haven't killed you all. Because I loved you then and still love you now. Or else I would have just kind of been like, you're done. Peace out. Like, God is kind of in one sense, it's almost like comical when you think about what he's saying here. And then in verse 7, he says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you guys have scorned my decrees. You failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, you ask, God again is speaking, but he's talking about what the people are asking him. How can we return when we've never gone away? In verse 8, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? And he says, you cheated me out of the tithes and the offerings that were due to me. In verse 9, he says, now you're under a curse. You're under a curse. Well, that's real nice of you, God. But, but just time out for a moment. What he's not talking about is the curse of sin and death. So we think, about, oh, oh, you're under a curse. Now, that's, not what, that's not what he means. That's not what he means. The curse that he's referring to here in New Testament, in, in thinking through the lens of grace here, which you've got to understand, won't go down that rabbit trail for too long, but, 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 but what God is saying here is you're under, you're under the curse of disobedience. If you're a parent, you know that when your parents disobey or when your kids disobey you, there's a little, there's a little curse. Come on, you, you, you go over the speed limit. I've never done that before, but if you go over the speed limit, <laughs> you, you, you might experience what feels like a curse. It's literally, he's referring, there's a curse of disobedience. You, you go outside of the covering of God. As much as God always loves us, there is a sense in which we tie the hands of God when we don't live in obedience to, to God. And so he goes on in verse 10, and God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Storehouse was the, the temple of the day, a representation of the modern-day gathering of God's people. And he says, so there will, there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. And then he says this, try it and put me to the test. He says, just try it. Try it. Test me in this, in this area of generosity. Now, there's three things I want us to understand about the tithe. We're going to kind of make this, break this down real, real practical here. Is number one is tithing is a test. It's a test. Number two, tithing is biblical. Number three, tithing is a blessing. Let me unpack that just a bit. Tithing is a, tithing is a test. You can be a giver, but not a tither, because to tithe means that, God, I think about you first. Before I do anything else, I think about you First, before I'm trying to figure out how I can save up to buy that new pair of shoes or to you know, increase my standard of living, I want to think about you first, God. I want to lean in and ask you, God, what, would you, what do you want me to do? What do, you, what do you want me to do in this area of, of generosity, in the area of my, of my finances? The tithe is a, it's a test. and In fact, I think there's two reasons why God, why God kind of set it up and established it so that we would, that we would give 10%. Why, why there's this 10%? Because it, it kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? 
Whether you make $10,000 or $100,000, it kind of levels the playing field. But furthermore, the number 10 in all the scriptures represents a season or a time of testing. Always. Numbers are very important to God. They, re they really are. Think about this. There are 10 commandments. There were 10 plagues to Egypt that, that God was using to test Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart. Daniel experienced 10 days of testing. That number 10 represents a season or a, or a time of testing, but it's actually a two-way test because what God is saying here is, I want you to test me. He says that. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that God asks us to test him. In fact, in fact, God's like, don't test me. Come on, you know, if you're a dad, you ever experience that with your son? And you're like, don't you dare test me, son. You do not want to see what's on the other side of this test. You know what I mean? Like, usually God's like, don't you test me. But in this particular scenario, he's saying, test me. Just try it. Put me to the test and see if I won't. So he's saying, see if, I, see if I won't prove myself as pure to my character that I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, when you go to, when you go to a restaurant and, and you, you sit down, and maybe you're going to go to lunch after church today, and, and somebody is waiting on you, they're, they're serving you, generally the size of the tip is determined by how well you feel like they have served you, Right? And then if they're really good, we'll give them 20% or maybe, maybe more. And if, if not, we kind of just keep trickling that number further and further down. And, and listen to me, God, he doesn't want us to tip him. He wants us to tithe to him, which means we think about you first. Now hear me, hear me. We do not give to the church. We give to God through the local church. It's a different way of thinking about it. You say, Jordan, what's the difference? It's a, it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Let me explain it like this. Number two, tithing is, tithing is biblical. It's biblical. God is testing our hearts. He's not tempting us. He's testing our hearts. And when a person even begins to argue whether or not tithing is biblical, it actually begins to reveal their heart. This was me. I'm telling you, man. This, I, 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 I came against everything that I had ever been taught including this area of generosity. And, and somebody put me in my place, like, Jordan, what do you think your heart, or rather, what do you think your argument reveals about your heart right now? Reveals that I'm smart. That I want to be analytical and I want to get this thing right. He's like, yeah, it does. It also reveals that you're kind of hardened to the fact that God gave you everything. You believe that, right, Jordan? Well, yeah. And yet, you're not willing to live open-handed to him? Wait a minute. If we even argue about this area of generosity, we reveal something about the test that God is revealing about our, our hearts. In, in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says this, what, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He said, you, you are so careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yeah. But don't neglect the more important things. And I used to say it like this. Well, I'm just, I don't want to neglect the more important things. And somebody, somebody told me, I remember specifically when I was 26 years old, and they were like, yeah, but Jordan, did you like miss what he said there? He said, you should tithe, yeah. But also don't neglect justice, mercy, and faith. Well, yeah, okay. But, but that's Jesus talking to us. That's our, that's, that's our Savior talking, talking to us. 
my, my, my goal as, as a leader here at, at Ethos is to earn your trust. Let me say it like this. I, I believe that when it comes to this area of tithe, you have to have big trust in God, and yet it still requires little, little trust in men, little T-trust in men. You gotta have big T-trust in God, but you also gotta have little T-trust in, in men. If you at any point don't trust ethos in the area of finances, come and talk to me. I welcome that. I, I'm telling you, I welcome it. We want to earn your trust, and we want to keep it too. And that's a, that's a really big deal. To coordinate. We, want to, we want to live and lead with full integrity, full transparency. So, so we, we want to earn it. We, we really do. And it's one of the reasons why we have, we have a stewardship team here at Ethos Church. And, and, and it's, it's five individuals whose responsibilities help steward the, the culture, the vision, and the finances of our, of our, of our community here. In fact, we, I'll, I'll show you the names right now. So if, if these are all individuals in our church who, who are well-respected, have a great reputation, whom my wife and I love deeply and sincerely. And their responsibility is to help us steward what is given, because we ultimately got to understand we give to God, but we do it through the avenue of God's local church. It's, it's us. The kingdom of God moves at our, at our speed of sacrifice. The kingdom of God moves at our speed of, of, of generosity. God's will will always be done. It's just a matter of whether or not it's us who get to do it. Look, God will pass over us, whole other teaching for a whole other day, if we say no to him, he's going to find somebody else, and he's, his will's going to be done. It, it, it will be done. He is sovereign in that regard. But, but I don't want to be that kind of church that God's like, ah, i got to go to, no, I want to, no, we're going to be the kind of church who says, God, what's, what's ours was yours to begin with, and so it's, it's yours still. Continued on. We, we, that's the, that's, I want to earn your, I just want you to hear this loud and clear. If you ever have doubts or questions, talk to us. Talk to me. We welcome that. I promise you I won't get defensive. I'll share vision with you. I'll give some explanation. But if there's an area in which we need to adjust, we will adjust it. We are led by the Holy Spirit as we, as we, as we live completely surrendered to what God has done through his son Jesus Christ. And we want to live open-handedly in response to him. Lastly, tithing is a blessing. And Colton can come help me close this thing out on keys here. Tithing, tithing is a blessing. I don't preach on generosity because we need your money. I, I don't get your money. I'll say it like this. Uh, so, some friends of mine are here from the, from the church that sent us, uh, that, that my wife and I uh, were a part of for, for quite a long time, that we were on staff at for about 12 years. And, and, and they're here. And, and our church sent us very healthily, very, very healthily. They sent us so that my salary wouldn't have to come out of ethos for quite some time. We don't need your money. In fact, if you never gave, like if, if just, we just kind of kept doing what we're doing right now, we'd be, we'd, we'd be able to keep doing what we're doing right now. But the vision's bigger than that. It's greater than that. And that's why we say we're in this thing together. Because what I see five years from now, 10 years from now, and 30 years from now, is more and more people who come to faith as a result of what God is doing through us here at Ethos Church and the community that he's building. More and more, more, and more marriages restored, more and more children raised in a healthy environment, more and more minds healed, more and more bodies healed, more and more people who say yes to Jesus 
because of the faithful sacrifice of so many. We, up to this point as a church, I'm telling you right now, we are built not on the giftedness of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. What happens every single Sunday morning, what happens through our I Love My City projects, what happens through our small groups, it is not the giftedness of one or two or three or four. It's not the sacrifice even financially of one or two or three or four. It is the sacrifice of the collective group in which you're sitting in and many of whom couldn't be here today. And tithing, it really is a, really is a blessing because what I've discovered in my own life is that what you keep is all you ever have. But what we give and surrender to God, He he can multiply. What you keep is all you'll have, but what you give, God can multiply. We find this maybe, maybe in no better example than in Mark chapter 6, where we see Jesus in the, in the feeding of 5,000. It says 5,000 men, not including, not including women and children, because in that day, they, they, when they counted crowds, they just counted families. And so they would just count the men in the crowd, and, and then they would say there's 5,000 families in one sense. And, Every scholar would say that at least from what we have recorded in Scripture, this is the largest crowd that Jesus ever taught, that he ever spoke to. A bare minimum, bare minimum, 20,000 people. But in that day, you would say that there's an average between four to five kids per household. So let's just, let's just say 20,000 people are, are there. And Jesus is teaching for a really long time. We know it's a long time because Mark in his gospel, he records, he says this, as the day began to wear away. The day, you know what that means in the original Greek? As the day began to wear away. Like it just kept going on and on and on. You're like, Jesus, you're awesome, but this whole series of teachings you're giving in one single day, kind of a lot. And it says at one point that the, the 12 disciples, they, they, they're kind of getting hungry themselves, and, and, and they notice that the crowd is kind of becoming weary as well, and so they go up to Jesus and they say, hey, it's been great, sir. Not so much about us, really about the people, but... Uh, but, but, but should we send them away so they can go get something to eat now? And Jesus says this. He says, he says well, why don't you all feed them? Uh, and one of the disciples says, Lord, we, we, we wouldn't, if all of us worked for an entire year, we wouldn't even have enough money to feed this, this crowd. Just, yeah, no, no, you guys feed them. Another disciple says, um, all we have is like a little Long John Silver snack pack, two fish and five loaves of bread. That's all we got. Literally, this is what he said. He says, this is all we got. This is all we have. They hand it to Jesus. Jesus, I think we should send him away. Now, wouldn't it make sense in that moment when Jesus realizes, oh, that's all you have? Oh, shoot, I was hoping you guys had some more than that. Well, I mean, it would make sense that in that moment, they would send the crowd away. Yeah, all right, guys, go ahead and tell them we're done for the day. We'll pick it up again tomorrow at 7 a.m. No, they, but it would, that would make sense. That would make sense. Hear me, hear me. I think in America, we, we've tried to make following Jesus always make sense. And it's hurt us a little bit. Because following Jesus is a very supernatural thing. And obeying Jesus rarely makes sense. Tithing doesn't make sense. You can try to reason in your mind. It, just, it doesn't really fully make sense. But it, but it works. So Jesus says, all right, give me the two fish and the five loaves and and the scriptures say in verse, verse 41, verse 41, let's throw that up there for me if you don't mind. DJ, sorry, I was trying to. In verse, in verse 41 it says, so then Jesus took the five loaves and the two, two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. He blessed them. 
Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up more bread and fish left over than what they had started with to begin with. Now catch this for just a moment. The blessing of God doesn't happen in the hands of Jesus. It happened in the disciples' hands. The blessing was that the disciples got to distribute the food and the fish to the crowd. They got to meet the needs of their immediate community. The miracle happened in God's hand, but the blessing happens in our hands. Obedience is always a prerequisite to God's miracles taking place in our lives and through our lives. I don't know about you, but this makes me kind of happy because sometimes I get so confused. And I'm like, oh God, I wish that you would just kind of give me everything I need right now and show me the whole pictures and make a whole lot more sense and I would follow you step by step. But the scriptures say, Proverbs says that God orders the steps of a righteous man. In other words, you may not know where to step 10 steps from now, but you probably know good and well where to take the very next step. We just keep moving because obedience always reveals the miracle. But obedience is the prerequisite to the miracle. God always wants to be first in our lives. And here's the good news, church. He never asks what he didn't first supply you with. He's not saying, I want you to fill in the blank. You're like, God, I don't even have that. No, he's saying, look, look what do you have that I've entrusted you? That, that, he said, Just hold that, hold that open-handed to me. And when we understand that everything that we have already comes from God, it, it kind of begins to, lo- we begin to loosen our grips a little bit and our heart begins to kind of grow, kind of, kind of grow soft. I want to I sh- reveal it like this. This is, this, this water kind of reveals God's blessing, if you will. I, I went up to my mother-in-law this morning and pretended like I was going to pour God's blessing on her and she didn't think it was very funny, but it's like, well, apparently you don't want God's blessing on you, Cheryl. Sorry about that. But, but, but this, this these, these rocks represent a closed fist. This, this here represents a, an open hand. Now, now, when we have a closed fist, God can bless us to a certain degree. And he, and he will. He will. He absolutely will. He will get to you what he can get to you, and your needs can still be supplied for. Absolutely, no no doubt, but just just hear me out. But when we live open-handed and we allow God to say, hey, I've given you everything, and I just simply want you to live open-handedly to that which I first chose to give to you, that which I've entrusted to you, I want you to entrust back unto me. Number one, Number one, a closed fist limits the amount of God's blessing in our life. It limits the amount of what God can do in our lives because it limits what he can get to us. But an open hand actually allows more of God's blessing to get into more of what God wants to do in us. It allows him to do that. It allows that open hand. But hear me, hear me. This is, this is, the, bigger, this is the bigger miracle right here. Because as, as followers of Jesus, generosity, it's our privilege. It's our, it's our privilege. See, if, if, we have a, if we have a closed fist, there's not a whole lot that God can, 
get through us. So we offer it back to God. There's not a whole lot that God can get through us to the people around us. It's, it's all we got. I got a few drops here maybe I can give to you. But God's saying, oh, no, no, live open-handed. I can get more to you, and, and I, can, I can get a whole lot more through you too. And then God says, oh, now, now, now here's some more, and I want to I fill that bucket right back up again. And you say, oh, yeah, God, thank you so much because I've been blessed to be a giver. So I'm not going to, I was talking to a guy recently, not too long ago. He, he's, he's very, very wealthy, and, and, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Jordan, he said, I'm terrified not to keep giving because I'm so afraid that God is going to stop the stream from coming. And this guy, I mean, he, the, and I tell you stories of what he's done. But here's the thing, here's the thing. God wants us to have a blessed life, not just a blessed pocketbook. And that's where things kind of get off right there. So we think of God's blessing as material. God's saying, I, I just I want to get something through you. It could just be, I just, I want to get joy through you. I want to get your peace through you. I, I, and, and listen to me, listen to me. I, I think there's not. I believe in God's blessing, even in a material way. I believe that God will bless us, but we ought to live open-handedly with what the Lord gives us and say, God, at any point you say to give it, I'll, I'll give it. It's yours. It's yours because I trust that as I do, you can get more back to me in abundance so that I can continue to be a blessing to the world around us. One of the greatest tests you will ever face is in the area of your finances. Will we trust God more to know that he can do more with what we give him than we could do if we never gave him anything to begin with. That's what I, for, for, for my wife and I, that's, that's one of the things we just, we love about tithing. And, and we, we, we set generosity goals every year. We, we kind of set out, hey, this year we want to we wanna do this in the area of our finances. We want to give. We don't, we've, we stopped setting goals years and years ago. We stopped setting goals of what we wanted to get, like believing God for certain things. Like, like, no, that's, that's up to God. I think my responsibility is to say, God, I, want, I, want, I kind of want to go to like maybe another level and just continue to exercise selfishness and greed out of my, out of my heart. And, and, and I, it's one of the things I love about tithing so much is it reminds me every single time, this was never mine to begin with. It's yours, God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then everything else will be added to you. Jesus said that. Every, you know what the everything else is? In, in verse 21 all the way down to verse 33 of, of, of Matthew 6, he's, he's referring to all the stuff that we worry about. All of the, all of the things that we, we grow anxious as a result of. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to sleep, all those things. And, 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 and Jesus says this. He says, he says, seek first my kingdom and its righteousness. And then all of these things, all that stuff that you're worried about, just put me first. I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. I don't have to stress about that stuff anymore. Because there's a peace that comes with living in obedience to putting God first in our lives. It just, it does. And so here's the thing, here's the thing. Let me say it like this. You say, Jordan, what are you really saying here? I'm saying, ask God. God, where do you want me to, where do you want me to start in this area of generosity? Ask him. Ask him, because I don't believe it's about an amount. I just, I can't biblically, I'm, I'm re I wrestle with it often. I can't even biblically say, I think in the New Testament, if I can just be real honest as we're kind of in this thing together, I think in the New Testament, the tithe is the baseline. But Jesus teaches something totally different. He teaches radical generosity. 
I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what all of that even means and looks like, but, 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 but I do know this, I do know this, that God is just interested in your heart. So if you obey him in his voice, it's not about some specific number. It's just saying, God, I just, I'll do whatever you, because I trust you. I trust you. I know you don't ever change. So I trust you. So I'm going to establish a routine of trusting you over and over 